It's a new year and a new chance for you to make a fresh start with your compliance. For the next 31 days on the FCPA Compliance Report, we're going to be bringing you a daily tip, strategy, or idea that you can use to improve your program. Here's your host, Tom Fox, the Compliance Evangelist. Code of Conduct, Structure and Format. Next comes the evolution of the structure and format of a best practices compliance program. Initially, my experience is that they were written by lawyers, largely for lawyers. This included thou shalts and thou shalt nots, liberally sprinkled throughout a lengthy written document. This was what is now referred to as Code of Conduct 1.0. The compliance community then evolved to Code of Conduct 2.0, where the writing was less turgid, moved to a more employee-friendly language. And then, there were somewhere along the line, we started putting in hyperlinks, pictures, and videos. Fortunately, we have evolved even further beyond that into Code of Conduct 3.0 now. There are two factors which a company should consider on the structure of its Code of Conduct. The first is to consider how your organization generally communicates, overlaid with the most effective way to communicate with the various stakeholders who will need to read and utilize your Code of Conduct. These stakeholders can include such diverse groups as employees, shareholders, and third parties on both the sales and supply side of your business. This may require multiple approaches. The second point involves considering the thinly veiled land of the future of compliance by considering how your code of conduct will be viewed and used going forward. A simple example is the switch to mobile devices as the mainstay of many corporate communications. Think about how laptops are viewed as the primary vehicle through which most employees and shareholders interacted with training and resources for many organizations. Now many companies are going forward to mobile devices. Will the format of your code of conduct work on those various platforms and perhaps others you have not yet considered? With the current Adobe platform, for instance, you can have a PDF document because it is the easiest thing to provide to people who are looking at it on a phone or on a PC or tablet and want to print it out and hold the pieces of paper as it is the most compatible format out there. Also, you can embed some interactivity into a PDF format. Such technology allows you to add functionality as it becomes available to you. If your organization is one where communication is more free-flowing and there is more free-wheeling internal communications, that should be reflected in your code of conduct form. This means if your organization is a startup in Silicon Valley or a well-known fun-loving organization such as Southwest Airlines, there may be well there may well be more playful attitudes and a more playful way for you to communicate compliance topics. Conversely, if you work for a hierarchical energy services company which communicates in a top-down strategy only, such playfulness is not appropriate. What you should strive for therefore is a consistent communication strategy. If your employees or other stakeholders are accustomed to receiving communications in a certain style, it would be appropriate to maintain that style. The key is to consider just how the internal communication at your company occurs, but also consider how HR, operations, marketing, and other corporate disciplines communicate throughout your organization. You should strive for a consistent communication strategy. Think about the evolution of the code of conduct from the type of document that was akin to an annual report to one that now addresses corporate culture. 
A code must speak to the typical important concepts, such as values that define the ethical culture or should define the ethical culture of a company. Some codes have been as long as 12 to 14,000 words, but others can be quite short, only four to 5,000 words. It all means that there is no set length and the style of writing can certainly vary. But it must ring true with your employees, stakeholders, and shareholders. Finally, be sure to make your code readable. This is beyond simply eliminating legalese, although as a lawyer, I'm certainly fond of a legalese. It is writing English at a grade level that is sufficient for your employee population. It may well be that an eighth grade language level is appropriate for your workforce. However, if you have a population consisting primarily of professionals, translating it into the appropriate languages, it may be appropriate to aim for a higher level of language. Finally, you do not have to say the same thing in multiple different ways. So what are today's three key takeaways for the structure and format of a compliance program? Well, I've been in the compliance business since about uh, 2007. And it started literally with a code of conduct written by lawyers for lawyers uh, at that time. Fortunately, now we've evolved far beyond that, and it's a fully interactive code of conduct for all employees. If you still have a legalistic code of conduct, it is time that you um, really revise that. There's some very good professionals out there who focus on nothing but code of conduct, and I'm certainly happy to refer you to them if uh, you need a code of conduct assessment or a rewrite. But if you have a legalistic code of conduct, you really need to move past that. Number two, consider how information is distributed at your organization as a basis for communication in your code of conduct. I can't really overemphasize enough that your code should be communicated through your basic communications channel, whether that be um, online, whether that be uh, via a desktop, whether that be via laptop, or if you've moved to mobile devices as your primary communications tool. You should have that ability to communicate your code of conduct, but you have to have it in a way that uh, goes back to the document, document, document mantra, that you have to document not only that your code of conduct was available and it went out, but it was reviewed. And however you might do that through your communications tool, I think will be important going forward. And then finally, your code of conduct must be readable, both in English and native language for your non-English speaking employees. This breaks down into two parts. Number one, what's the language level of your employee base? If you're an oilfield service company uh, and you have workers in the field, that's certainly going to be one level, but what about uh, the professional base uh, at your corporate home office? If you're something uh, like Walmart with literally 300,000 employees across the world, what is that going to be? And that, of course, brings up native language for non-English speaking employees. You must translate into local languages so that the code of conduct is available to everyone. I hope you will enjoy the entire month on written standards and that you will listen in again where we explore another topic in the month of May. If I could ask you to do so, would you pass on to at least one person this podcast series on the nuts and bolts of compliance as I'm trying to expand my audience base for 31 days to a more effective compliance program? I hope you'll join me again tomorrow where I take up another topic in innovation and compliance. Thanks again for listening.
31 Days to a More Effective Compliance Program is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.